Take your Bibles to Genesis. Um, I'm going to give you a long introduction uh, to, to this passage, uh, to this subject today. I want you guys to tune in to what I'm saying because it is heavy on my heart. I have been at fellowship for 17 years and I have never preached on this subject. Never. Um, I, I want to talk about marriage and I'm going to go deep into the subject of marriage this morning. I'm going to start at the beginning of the Bible. I'm going to go to the end of the Bible. And then I'm going to stop in the middle of the Bible. I want you guys to see what a big deal is of marriage. And I want you to see why our nation today is being shook. The foundation be destroyed. What will the righteous do? Our foundation is being shook like crazy. Uh, I, I love to talk to couples that are preparing for marriage. It's different. Way different talking to them coming into my office than it is the ones that are coming in after being married for 20, 25 years and getting marriage counseling. They come in giggling and excited and holding hands, and I ask them why they're in love, and they, they, they both blush. I mean, just, it's, it's just their, their ringtones are the wedding march. I can ask them, how long until you get married? And they'll say, 25 days, 2 hours, 15 minutes. And then I asked the guy that's been married for a long time, how long have you been married? I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. It's, it's such a, a drastic difference. And I, I wonder in my mind, how do we go from the, oh, I'm getting married to the, oh, dude, I'm married. You know, what, what happens? It's, it's something that we have to address because oftentimes, passion, the romance, the joy, the date nights. And by the way, men, Home Depot is not a date night. I've, you know, needed a new plunger, took her out. Just, I could give you advice. I'm not the master of this, but I could probably point you in a better direction than that. But they become partners that pay bills, raise kids, and exist in life together. You say, well, we're doing okay. I want to prove to you guys today that okay is not okay with God. Okay is not okay with God. Uh, God had a design for marriage. Uh, we're talking about family matters and the, the, at the foundation of family is, is marriage. If you were to trace this back all the way to the beginning, which I'm going to show you in a minute, before there was government, before there was church, before there was school, before there was family before there was any of those institutions, I take you all the way back, and there was man and woman and marriage. God brought them together in a union. It was more than just two people falling in love. Marriage was a fundamental foundation of society. So yeah, I, I can explain to you as we see uh, all the stuff going on in our society, and I'm not going to get into all, uh, that rabbit trail and get off on that, but I can tell you, of all the stuff that we're seeing in society, it's not just an attack on marriage. It's an attack on our foundation. And how dare we get upset looking at the world of how they view marriage and say it's wrong when they could walk right into the church and all they do is see wrong in our marriages. The, the, the world has attempted to ruin God's design for love and marriage. So I'll give you this long introduction, and I want to state as I get into this, if you are single today, please listen. You are not in a bad place. 
As much as I'm going to say that God created man and woman and brought them together and he put on them the label, it is good, it was good. But that is not to say Paul said it is good for the state of which I am of being single. If God has put you there, that, that you're in a good place and you can do things for God. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive if that burden is in your heart saying, I do want to get married. I'd like to be married. Praise God for that. But at the same time, if everything that I say about how good and how great it is and should be does not mean that I'm rubbing in your face that you're not in a good place. I don't want that. The same thing goes for those that are divorced. God is a God of healing. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of second chances. And so I, I don't want, and I, I know as I get into this, I get into such a deep subject that there's so many sub-subjects around this. that so a lot of people are like, well, what, but what about, and I, and I know those things. But I want you to see that the Bible begins and ends with marriage. We look at both ends of it because I want you to see why this is so important. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we'll jump around, but then for today and next week, we're going to park in one passage of Scripture. In Genesis 2, 18, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Have you ever stopped and wondered what Jesus, what Jesus, what God was seeing at this point when he said that? When, when God stood there and said, it's not good that Adam should be alone. I don't know if he was riding around on drafts and, you know, and hanging out with the monkeys and God saying, that boy, that boy needs a girl. I, you know, I, I don't know what was going on, but I, I know that God looks down at him and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And, and so God said, I will make him a partner. But we've got to see the depth of the partner. It's different than parenting. It's different than relationships with your kids. It's different than relationship with, with your boss or your best friend or anything else. God didn't just say, I'm going to bring two people together to exist in life. It was far different than that. They're to be part of each other's life, connected like no other. Notice God's hand in this design as he does this. Everything, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the earth bring forth. Let the sky, let, uh, God said these things. But not with this. Notice the intimate, personal, hands-on connection with God. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. First of all, notice that God had to knock out Adam to do what he wanted. Because sometimes God has to just completely set us aside and shut us down to do what he wants to do. Probably because if God went up to Adam and said, what what do you think? He'd be blah, 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 you know, and God said, no, you have no idea what you need. Let me put you here. I'll take care of this and I'll bring into your life what you need because you're not getting it. God put him out. And the symbolism, which I've preached on before, the rib from Adam, he made Eve. Eve was part of Adam. And Adam was part of Eve. Because Eve was part of Adam. And Adam was part of Eve. And you know who did that? It was God. Like no other relationship ever. And I want you to see that through the course of this, what I'm going to show you is our marriage relationship is a parallel, is a demonstration of our relationship between us and God. 
So I want you to see, as marriages are falling apart, so is God's visual upon this earth of what our relationship with God should be. And I'll prove it to you as I go through these passages. God's design was not for them to coexist. God's design for you and Him is not just to coexist. God's design was for the woman, relationship, them together, created for one another. Eve was good for Adam, and Adam was good for Eve. Verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now let me show you even what God was doing here. And you say, man, marriage would be great if she would think like me or if he would act like me, God deliberately, guys get this, at this moment, God deliberately made them different. If you're waiting for the day that you're both going to look and act and talk and everything the same, you're going to be waiting a long time because what makes us unique is the difference of what God created. God created an intimate connection between the man and the woman. The Bible says for them to cleave, to cling, to adhere, means to follow close, to be joined, to pursue hard, to stick, to take to one another. Literally, with, with, and I've given this illustration before of, of, of how God internally connected them by, by taking Adam and taking a bone out of him and by taking Eve and putting that bone into her. God literally said, let me tell you, what God has put together, let no man separate. It wasn't meant to be disconnected. If Adam was to walk up to God one day and say, hey, I'm tired of her. God says, that's fine. Go ahead, separate. Just go get what's yours. Adam to go up to Eve and say, I need my rib back. It doesn't work that way. Guys, you don't understand. I didn't just, you're connected internally in a way that was meant to last. Often in Sunday school and junior church, we don't get this. We don't understand the depth of what God was doing through this relationship. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. There was no shame. It was good. It was pure. It was God's design. So go to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. Go as far as we can to the other end of this and show you the relationship between us and God. Revelation 21, verse 2, And John saw the holy city, noon Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Listen to his comparison. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be with their God This is a relationship of the husband and the wife or the church and Christ. It is a bond. It is a connection. It is eternal. It's described a love beyond anything we know. The Bible begins and ends with this illustration of marriage. From the foundation of man and woman to the foundation of church and Christ. So I take you more to the middle, and I kind of fill in some of the blanks before we get into our passage. There's a parallel in Ephesians 5.25. It's one of the most common passages on marriage. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it. 
I honestly thought about stopping and just parking right here and going into this just because everything that I'm going to teach you about these glasses is not going to make sense and it's not going to work without this being instituted. Christ laid down his life for the church. Christ gave everything for the church. Christ forgave the church. Love them. God pursues us. God communes with us. Let me tell you, God desires us. God gives to us. This was his intent. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man hath yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. You, you talk about a description of God saying, hey, if you want her to respond, you love her, you cherish her, you nurture her, you care for her. Even as the Lord, the church. Now listen to this. For we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are intimately connected to Christ. This was God's design. So let me tell you right now, if I had a husband and wife and I was to stand them up here and put them before you and say, hey, this imagery of this connection, this bond is different, it's deeper, it, it, is, it is, is strength of this, is a parallel to Christ and the church. So when they see the love of a couple, they should also see Christ's love for the church. But when the world sees nothing but us that is disconnected, separated, dissatisfied, and not passionate, they also see a parallel of our relationship with God that is disconnected, unconnected, broken, unpassionate. It's not my illustration, it's God's illustration. Our passion should reflect, our love should reflect, our connection should reflect. It grows and deepens with time. Let me explain this. The longer I'm saved, the more I love the Lord. Would you, would you guys agree with that? The more you get to know Him, the more you love Him. And, and yet, I, I have talked to people, and, and if, if this is a parallel, have you, have you ever been around somebody that's been married for a really long length of time, and, and they, they see a young couple holding hands. And, and I'm not saying that it's always going to be, you guys know what I'm saying. I mean, it's not all they soppy. You can't stop staring at each other. And some of that, no offense, young couple, some of that gross stuff does fade away. You know, that, oh, you know, drooling over each other and stuff. And, and it kind of mellows out into a, a normal path. But I'm, I'm talking about that soppy at the beginning of it stage. And then, then that couple that's been married for a long time almost looks at them in disgust. And I, I had a couple... That when Jen and I was first married, we came off our honeymoon and we came home uh, to visit my family because my brother was graduating. And we walked into the church and they said, oh, that won't last. We were holding hands. They said, give it some time. That won't last. And I love the fact that Jen and I still go places and we still hold hands. And we've been married for 20 years and we do it because we love each other, not because we have to. There should be a joy and a love and a happiness about it. But all of a sudden, when they look over there and they're talking about how oh, that, it, that will fade and all this, it, it should be richer at 25 years. I'm, it's different. It's different at 50 years of marriage and 25 years. But the love and the passion and the joy should be there. It might look different. Let me tell you, it's going to look different after you have a kid. 
When they're screaming and crying and diapers and that aroma goes through the house and everything, it's, it's not the same thing as lighting candles and rose petals like it used to be. Things change. But the love that you have for your spouse as you're changing that diaper should be just as rich as it was on the altar when you gave your life to them. Then you ask somebody how long you've been saved. Can you imagine the response being the same way you do with marriage? I don't know, 20, 30 years. When you've been saved as long as I have, all that kind of stuff kind of fades apart. You don't don't get excited about God. You You don't love it. You don't look forward to church. Can you imagine that being a parallel? But let me tell you, when we sit there and we talk about the, the relationship between us and God, and then it should be a parallel of us and our spouse, and it dies, and there's no joy, and there's no passion, our kids look at marriage and say, why would I want that? We, we get so upset about what the world is doing with marriage. Ever thought that maybe we're driving them too? not wanting to get married and shacking up and all their arguments about same-sex marriage and everything like that, what example have we given them? I haven't even got there yet. Hang with me. You should be closer. You should be connected. You should be happy. You should be satisfied. Is this reality of what it is? Let me really hit home of where I'm going with this. I grew up my entire life in church. My entire life in church. I, I, I say that to the glory of God and thank God for my parents and everything. I went to church in Michigan. I, I, I grew up in Alabama. <clears throat> I, I've been in church in Florida. And I've served here for 17 years. When I was a kid, <clears throat> I went to Christian school. And I remember one of the first Christian schools I attended... I had the pastor's wife as my school teacher. And the pastor's son was my best friend. His name was Jonathan. We sat right next to each other. We got in trouble all the time. It was worse for us because his mom was the teacher. So not only did he get in trouble, he'd get out in the hallway, get spanked, brought back in the class, and he'd be mad at me for getting him in trouble. But we had, it was a cool, but I, I remember because I had the connection, I would get to go out to lunch and dinner and spend the night over his house and I'm in the pastor's house and I'm in my school teacher's house. And, you know, when you're a little kid, that's like a big deal. And seeing that they're normal people is weird. And, you know, all that other stuff. I, I just remember that. I had the utmost respect and love for this family that I got to know. I was in Bible college and I found out that he had an affair on his wife. I came home and she left that church, obviously. And she joined my home church of where I attended church, Temple. And I walk in there and she had a boyfriend. I'm just telling you guys right now, for a Bible college student that I'm like walking into college saying, I want to be like that. I'm going, what is that? Who is that dude? Why are you holding his hand? It bothered me. It messed with me. I couldn't stop calling her, her by her last name. Mrs. I'll leave it out for the sake of testimony. My best friend, the other side of town, which was five minutes in Alabama, down this way, was another church. That's where my best friend Bubba went to church. And his pastor used to come and be this chaplain and and speak at my Christian school. 
he was a super cool guy and energetic and I love going to hear him preach and I love going on their activities and the pastor would jump in the bus and go to Kings Island and all these different activities with us and it was so cool. I came home and went out to eat with my family when I was in Bible college and he was the guy taking my order at Chick-fil-A because he was now had an affair with his secretary at the church and no longer the pastor. My Bible college founder, one of the founders of that, made national news for his sexual problems. Friends of mine that went to another college made national news for the founder being sexual problems. He actually made it as far as being a joke on the Tonight Show. People that I used to have preach here, that people have come up and said, why don't we ever have so-and-so back to preach? Because they walked out on their wife. I didn't ever get up and said that, but that's the truth. A lot of my mentors that I had for years, the people that I grew up with, the people that I respected, the people that I aspired to be like, are no longer married. I have actually had the guts to talk to some of them, and I've gone up to them and I say, what in the world happened? And they said, Tony, you can only fake it for so long. You can only put up the facade, but let me tell you, at home, life was miserable. We were not happy. We were not connected. There was nothing real going on. But let me tell you the scariest part of all of that was the fact that what does the next generation see? What, what, what do they see? What do they feel when they say, all I see is a lot of people living a fake life, trying to make it look good. And we stay together for the sake of our kids and because of the fact that I didn't want to ruin their life and I didn't want to ruin my ministry. And they didn't help anything because it was all fake anyways. God's not about fake God's not about us going through the motions and try to put up a facade and an act. You know what I realize? That if God said marriage should be good, then it should be good. Should be good. I'm not saying that it's not going to have problems, but can I be honest with some of you guys? Sometimes the problems is what makes marriage good. Go through them and see what's on the other side. You embrace and say, we got through that. And wow, God is faithful. And your kids look at you and say, wow, you were strong through that. I want to be strong like that. It should grow and mature and get better and thrive. So strong that when temptations come, your love and your passion and everything should be strong enough to endure the temptations and the trials that come. Because let me remind you, we are a reflection, an image, an illustration, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, intimately connected on the inside out, the same way that the church, and when the church is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, when the storms come, it does not fail, it does not fold, it does not fall apart, and so can our marriages be if it's done God's way. It's not a myth, it's not just an idea. And let me tell every Christian here, let's do a survey. How many of you have had somebody that you've looked up to and loved that has fallen into sin like this? Just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Can you see it? 
Don't put it in your mind that you are destined to be like them, that everybody has to be that way. Do you, do you know what I realize about us and church and problems and everything? Let me, let me tell you, we, we're, not, we're not real enough to admit when we have issues. I've had too many pastors give me advice. Don't let people know you have issues. You, you put on the facade, you go through it, you force through it, whatever. And you know what happens is a lot of those pastors that should retire as heroes end up fading into the darkness through their issues because they weren't... Pride! Let, let me just put it out there, okay? It's pride. Stinking, horrible pride. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. None of us go through life without issues. None of us do. And if you, if you think that you're falling apart just because you do have issues, you're wrong. It's just the fact that God wants to get you through the issue to something even greater and more powerful. So please don't turn me out because I'm not to my message yet. It will be short because next week is part two and we'll hit this. We have accepted the idea that romantic and passionate relationship is something for the honeymoon and ought to and should and does fade away the longer you've been married. I'm talking about real joy of being married. You know what is confusing is in our society, you've got single people acting like they're married and married people acting like they're single. You've got them all over each other. You can't convince these guys to touch each other. And I know that the, the, the world fans the flames of this trash like crazy. These instructions that we're going to learn in Proverbs 5.18, and let's go there and park, and we'll be there through the rest of today and into next week. Don't tune me out, I promise. You're going to say, I can't believe you're getting on this subject. I promise you, if more pastors would get on this subject, we'd have less stories to tell about casualties. Proverbs 5.18 Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Fountain is an illustration through Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 6 talking about marriage. Or if I can take it deeper than that, talking about a thirst within marriage. It describes a God-given thirst created by God. A God-given desire given to a man for the opposite sex. More specifically, given for his wife. Verse 19 ties it back into the physical desire that it should be. And let me remind you of what I'm talking about today is God's design. God's plan. We'll get into the challenges and the problems and the opposition next week. It says in verse 19, let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe, which is describing the beauty of a deer. Their description was talking about a deer and that the male deer was so passionate about the female deer that he would actually give his life for the female deer. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. I did a series a while back, probably eight years ago in Sunday school on the word ravished. It explains an intensity of desire. The word or plan of God of ravished means through the idea of intoxication, to be enraptured. Now, now listen, the, the word enraptured means to be overcome with delight. 
Meaning that for any couple that's like, you know, it's no big deal. And it's, it's not what God planned. It's not his design. It's not his plan. It's not his purpose. And I know that everyone is different and every marriage is different. But if it is the passive, no big deal, I don't even spend time with her. It's not right. And let me tell you, it's not only not right. You are on a pathway or a direction for failure. And yes, you will also be one of the next statistics. In some way, some pastor or somebody will sit there and say, I had a Sunday school teacher once that did have a good marriage and it fell apart. And I have no idea why. Because this was God's plan. This was the description of what God said when he said it is good. Proverbs comes in and says, let me tell you how good. Let me use this. And I know you're probably sitting there wondering. We're going to really get into this class next week. Let thy fountain be blessed. God does this description of marriage. Of a thirst. He explains that God designed marriage in such a way for a man to desire his wife. But there's a second glass that is also satisfying, and I'll explain that next week. He said, and why, in verse 20, and why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? This is all the stories that I told. And let me tell you, I didn't just tell those stories. I could go on for two hours and tell more stories. It's the strange woman. You say, why does it look dirty? Because there's a reason for what the Bible describes it that we'll get into in the next chapters as we study this next week. The same word is used both times. Oh, I wish it wasn't. He said, you either are going to be ravished, which means intoxicated or overwhelmed, addicted or desired to your wife, or you will be to the strange woman or the person outside of your marriage. But let me tell you, every man here has a desire that's going to go to one or the other. God is using this because of the way that he designed it to be. It was meant to connect. The option that we face every single day stands between that every person that is married is drinking or should be drinking and usually they're going to the other glass proverbs 5 15 look back with me drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well god said i know that there are two issues of this but i tell you that is not my plan number one marriage intimacy was designed to quench there is only one outlet There's to be only one source of satisfaction. The cistern and well that God has placed into our life that was sent there by God to quench is only one option, which is your spouse. People who come back and say, I am not cheating on my wife. Wait till we get into next week and realize what God calls cheating. Wait till we realize what God has said that we have done To literally infect our lives with the wrong things, especially in our generation. 
Verse 19, he says, Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant robe. Let her breast satisfy at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. When it says satisfy thee, the word satisfy means to slay or satisfy the thirst. Literally the Hebrew definition. To make drunk, to fill, to satisfy, to soak, to water abundantly. If you want to, I challenge you to go home yourself and study the definition of the word fountain, but I will not in public actually tell you what that word means. Number two, marriage intimacy was designed by God to excite. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Please let me notice or point out to this. It does not say youthful wife, but the wife of thy youth. A lot of people, my wife's not the same as she was 30 years ago. God said, let me tell you, you're to rejoice with the wife that God gave you at the altar when you gave your life to them. It's not talking about her youthfulness that will last. But let me tell you, men, you're also getting old. It says two words in this passage. It says the word blessed. You know what the word blessed means? It means happy. Happy. Why in the world do we not understand that marriages by God were designed to be happy? Blessed is your marriage. Blessed is your relationship by God. Followed by the word rejoice. Literally means to praise God for or to have a stir of emotions in your hearts. Life changes, kids change, full-time jobs and health problems. But I'm telling you, the joy should remain and grow in your relationship. She should be your best friend, not your ball and chain. Blessed relationships and rejoicing relationships lead to ravished relationships. When things are good and right at home, they satisfy you in a way that God designed it to be. And God said, let her be the source of your excitement, not a website. Let her be the source of your joy, not the neighbor. Let her body and her body only be the source that ravishes you, not anyone else. Let her be the source source that intoxicated your heart and soul. I want to read for you Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9 where I found the word ravished once again. He's talking about the love of his life, and he said, Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garment is like the smell of Lebanon. A garden encloses my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Where did we lose this? Where has it been where Hollywood paints the picture of immorality as being the source of thrill and excitement And we have painted marriage as being the source of bondage and unhappiness. Not God. Not his plan. Not his design. One last thing. Marriage intimacy was designed to last. Proverbs 5.19. 
he talks about all the things that were mentioned in that passage. And he says, and be thou ravished always with her love. Always. That ravish or intoxication of that love that you have or the passion for that spouse was created by God to do exactly what you said till death do us part. You say, why are you talking about this? Do you realize that what we're talking about is one of the biggest issues in church? It might not be on a billboard. It might not be printed in your bulletin. But it's in every row of this church. Either affecting you, your marriage, your kids, your mind, your temptation. Dissatisfied, unfulfilled, unhappy, enduring, but not anything remotely close of what God designed it to be. And we turn our heads and we ignore this and then we sit there and complain about how often and how frequent these issues are rising in homes and churches and families and institutions and colleges across our nation. How dare we as a church ignore issues because they're uncomfortable? Our nation is being destroyed from the inside out. And God said at the very beginning, I'm going to make a foundation. Of course, it's God. And on top of God, he laid something. And I'm not belittling single or children or anybody else. But God said, I'm going to take a man and I'm going to take a woman. I'm going to bring them together. And I'm going to make a bond inside of them that's going to be strong. And it's going to thrive. And it's going to grow stronger in time. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be passionate. And it's going to reflect me and all that they do. And then we broke it. We either endure or we break it up. And then we sit back and look at the world and point out equality and gay pride and divorce and everything else saying, what's wrong with them? And they're looking in saying, because we don't want that. I'm willing to address it because I'm going to fight for the second and third generation of our kids and our families. Because it's infecting every single one of us, whether we want to admit it or not. 